Exodus chapter number 3, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro. Now you didn't know Jethro was a Bible name, did you? You just knew of it from the Beverly Hillbillies, but that's a Bible name. And kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I want to read to you verse number 3 once again, verses 2 and 3. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, I want to confess before these people that I need you tonight, Lord. I cannot give the message that needs to be given except you uphold me, Lord, and fill me. And Father, give me the unction and the power that's needed. Lord, you knew who would be here tonight, who wouldn't. You knew what the heart's need was before we even know what it is. And I pray, Lord, that each heart would be touched in a way that would bring you glory and honor. Father, we love and thank You for Your goodness. But Lord, we love and thank You for the difficult times as well. God, trusting them to Your providence and Your sovereignty and understanding, Lord, that we don't know what's best for us, but we know who does know what's best for us. And Lord, we we don't always give ourselves what we need, but Lord, You always give us what we need. So Father, we'd ask these things, and we ask them not for our own glory or for our own sakes, but in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. Boy, how many of you have read this passage before? How many of you have heard someone preach on this passage before? If you go here and you didn't raise your hand, I know you're lying or you fall asleep because I preached on it. Amen. But as I look at this passage, there was a few things, contextual things that struck me. I'll tell you what will do you a lot of good as you study the Word of God. The psalmist said, I will meditate. And that word meditate doesn't have the idea of holding your uh, your thumb and your first finger together and, and chanting and sitting there with your legs crossed. But what it means is I'm going to think about the Word of God. And if you'll think about the Word of God, you'll get a lot more out of it than if you just read over it and don't put no thought into it. And as I read this passage, I was struck by several things. Uh, it's fascinating to me that here on the backside of the desert, God is commissioning Moses to the life of ministry that had been prepared for him. For 40 years, God had been both preparing the ministry for the man and been preparing the man for the ministry. You know that nothing that takes place in your life is by accident. And if you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, then nothing happens at the wrong time. God is a God of timing. I'm sure it was discouraging for Moses at certain times on the backside of the desert 
having to shepherd this flock of wandering sheep, having to see to their needs, having to care for them. But I bet you after a little while of leading another flock of wandering sheep, he understood why God had had him on the backside of the desert. You see, we don't like the backside of the desert, but sometimes the backside of the desert is necessary if we're going to do what God would have us do. You say, preacher, just spell it out. Sometimes the most difficult times in our life are exactly what we need if we're going to stand on the mountaintop. You never get to a mountaintop peak except you pass through a valley first. And never will you reach those high places in your life except first you go through some deserts and go through some difficulties. It's interesting to me, and I kind of wondered this. You know, the Bible says it was the flock of his father-in-law who was the priest of Midian. Why do you reckon a priest had a flock? That priest had a flock because those sheep were sacrificial sheep. They were going to be given as a sacrifice. And you know, it must have been something for Moses to watch over these sheep knowing they were going to be taken and killed. You know, as he wandered in the desert, I say wandered, as he led in the desert, he knew that that generation from 20 years old and up was going to die in the wilderness. Don't you know that had to have been a heartbreaking thing? I say this as a pastor. One of the most difficult things about pastoring is when you see people going the wrong way and you know that there's not a thing in the world you can do to stop them. I've had that happen in the short time that I've pastored. People going the wrong direction and I knew that they were. You try to warn and you try to exhort, but still they went that direction. You know, I'm sure Moses had to have his ministry vested in something other than those sheep he was leading. He had to have a different cause. But as I read this passage and think of it in the context, the thing that I consider is the difficulty of Moses' ministry. You know, I got to thinking about different men in the Word of God. You know, ministry in and of itself is a consuming thing, and it's, it's difficult sometimes. That's not to say it's unrewarding or unsatisfying, but anything worth doing is going to be difficult sometimes. And I'm sure that Moses had probably the most difficult ministry in all of the Word of God other than our Lord and Savior. Now, you might say, well, what about the weeping prophet Jeremiah? And I, I considered that, but you know, Jeremiah had a message to give, but he didn't have a task to complete, and there's a difference. Moses understood that it wasn't just that he stick by the stuff, but he had to get the job done as well. Over a million souls would have been in Moses' watch care, and we know not exactly how many caring for their spiritual needs, for their physical needs, for their emotional needs, for their mental needs. No doubt the load got heavy for this man of God. And so before God is going to send him upon this ministry, before he's actually going to begin to execute the work that God has for his life, the Bible says that God appears to him in the midst of this bush that is burning. And I thought to myself, surely there was a purpose in it. You know, God doesn't do anything on accident. God could have appeared to him in a number of ways, but God chose to appear to Moses as a bush that was burning. And though this bush was burning, though, I want you to notice that it wasn't burning out. You know, it's one thing to burn. It's another thing to burn without burning out. Serving God is a difficult thing. Did you know that? Somebody give me a testify to that. It's a difficult thing. And I don't necessarily mean standing in a pulpit and preaching. I don't necessarily mean traveling as, a, as an evangelist or as a missionary. 
But I just mean the day in, the day out serving of God, maintaining a prayer life, maintaining a studying time, living, keeping the flesh in check. I did not say eradicating it, but keeping it in check. Just being the kind of Christian that God would have you to be. It's a difficult thing. It's difficult to be faithful to church. How many of you know that the busiest time in your whole week is Sunday morning when you're trying to get ready for church? How many of you know that it seems like the kids will mind and the dogs will behave and the tires will stay inflated on the car and everything will go fine until Sunday morning and then it just all goes to pieces? You know why? The devil's trying to keep you from God's house. And I want to tell you something. If you're going to serve God, it's going to be a difficult thing at times. But we see that when God is giving this example To Moses, the lesson is not just in the exhortation, but it's in the example. He's showing Moses what Moses is going to have to do if he's going to last. How many of you all have seen Christians that haven't lasted? Now, I don't mean Christians that lost their salvation. We know that's not doctrinally correct. I don't mean Christians that fell from grace, even though the only time that that phrase is used in the Word of God, it's it's not dealing with salvation, but it's dealing with the rest and it's dealing with the assurance that the believers have, that they were trying to live the life of grace, but live it according to the law. They had fallen down from that level of grace. But it's not talking about losing your salvation. But how many of you know we've seen Christians that have given up, given out? They burned for a while, but then finally it seemed like they just burned out. They're what we might call roller coaster Christians. Boy, you meet them one week, man, they're ready. They got their water pistol in hand, and they're headed to take hell on right then. And they're going to be the best Christian that you have ever seen. And a week later, they're gone. A month later, they're gone. A year later, they're gone. Then you see them another year from then or another week from then, some of them, and they're back up on top. And now we've got all kinds of diagnoses for things like that. Uh, But I'd just say that in the Christian walk, there has to be something fueling us if we're going to be steady and consistent. Moses, as he was going to serve God, God was showing him a few things. I want to notice three things tonight. I'm going to try to be brief. I want to say first off that we ought to pay attention to the ordinary nature of this bush that was burning. The Bible never says there's anything supernatural about this bush. The Bible never tells us it was a magical bush. The Bible never tells us there was something amazing about the bush in and of itself. In fact, if I had to guess, I'd say this bush was just a plain old bush. Just like any other bush. See, the remarkable thing was not this bush. It was that this bush was on fire. And it wasn't just that it was on fire. It's that it wasn't burning up. This was just an ordinary bush. Can I just say tonight, and I just want to give thanks to the Lord, that He uses just an ordinary old bush like me. You know, it doesn't take anything special to serve God. Did you know that? In fact, every believer is called to serve God. You may not be called to pastor a church. You may not be called to go to a foreign mission field. You may not be called to take off down the road as an evangelist. But if you're saved by the blood of Christ and washed in His blood, you're called to serve God. You're called to faithfulness. You're called to to witnessing. You're, You're called to living a Christian life. You're called to studying your Bible. You're called to a life of prayer. It takes work to serve God. But I'm thankful that any old ordinary bush will do. It could have been any bush. It was just an ordinary bush. And I read there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, you know, the Word of God is, is specific. Did you know that? 
Everybody talks about the tongues movement. I don't know, I may upset somebody, but you'll just have to be upset when I preach the Bible. Amen. And maybe it won't upset anyone, but the, uh, everybody talks about the tongues movement. And they look at, uh, at, at tongues in the Bible as being a sign of spirituality. You know that the church at Corinth was the most carnal church in all of the New Testament. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he had to straighten out more doctrinal problems and more problems of carnality than any other church. And they were the ones that exhibited the greatest examples of tongues in all of the Word of God. But as he's writing to this church that's eat up with carnality, he makes this statement, I like this. He says, For ye see your calling, brethren. Verse number 26 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the, the weak things. Boy, I like that word weak. How many times does that talk about us, you know? The weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. What's Paul telling us? Now, in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians, I think he's doing away with excuses. I think he's looking at the church of Corinth, and, and he knows that they'd probably say, well, we'd live for the Lord better, but we're just not able to. And Paul's kicking that prop out from under him by saying, no, God chooses the weak things of this world. It's not that you're not able, it's that you're not willing. I'm thankful that God chooses just old simple sinners saved by grace to do His work. Let me tell you something, friend. Many times the most effective soul winner in a church is the one that just quietly toils about witnessing, giving out gospel tracts, sharing the gospel. Many times it's not the person in the pulpit. Many times it's not the person that's the Sunday school teacher. Now, everybody ought to do their share. But listen to me, just because you don't have a place of quote-unquote prominence doesn't mean you shouldn't be serving God. God uses the ordinary. God uses the base. In fact, the Bible says He uses the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. You say, what does that mean? That means He takes somebody that's just an old nothing and uses that old nothing to take that somebody that's something and bring them down to nothing. That's what that means. God takes somebody that's nothing special, but He uses them. Go through the roll call of the Old Testament and you'll find, and the New Testament, you'll find farmers and shepherds and manual laborers and fishermen. You'll find tax collectors. You'll find people that were insignificant, but God made them significant because they were willing to be submitted to Him. It's just an ordinary old bush. There wasn't anything special about it. But I want you to notice not only the ordinary nature of this bush, but I want you to notice the origin of the flame that was within it. The thing that caught Moses' eyes, he was walking along with this flock, was he caught out of the glimpse of his eye this flaming orange, flaming yellow uh, bush that was over in the distance. And he turned aside to see what it was. Uh, what was interesting was the origin of this flame. It wasn't unusual for a flame, for a bush to catch fire in the desert. In fact, it still happens today in any kind of hot climate as the sun beats down and it's dry and there's not a lot of moisture. It's not unusual for desert fires to take place or something to just under the magnification of the sun's rays to catch flame and to catch fire. But the thing that struck Moses was not just that it was burning, but that it was burning and not burning up. I want you to notice a few things about this flame. He goes up and he gets closer to it. And he hears the voice of God out of the midst of the fire and the flame speak to him. And he understands some things about this flame. I want you to understand, first of all, it was a personal flame. 
You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? This flame was from within. This flame wasn't from without. This, this flame was from the heart of this bush. It wasn't from an external source. I want to say something that I hope will encourage you tonight and maybe answer some questions you might have had about your personal walk with the Lord. As long as the reason you're burning is because somebody else lit you on fire, you're never going to burn long. Hey, preacher, what do you mean? As long as your Christian walk, as long as you're serving the Lord because somebody comes along and pep talks you up into doing it, you won't last. You won't last. As long as the reason you're serving God is because other people are looking to you to serve God, you won't last very long. You won't last very long. As long as you're serving God just because your family wants you to serve God, you won't last very long. As long as you're serving God because your church expects you to serve God, you won't serve very long. Why did this fire burn so brightly? Because it burned from within. That's why. It's got to be a personal thing. I'm going to tell you why I serve God. And I hope you don't think this sounds arrogant. I don't mean it to sound that way. Trust me, if it wasn't for the Lord, I'd be lower than less. I mean, chiefest of sinners, my friend. But let me tell you, I don't serve God because Wall Ridge Baptist Church expects me to. That's not why I serve God. As a pastor, trust me, uh, one of the things that's, uh, that, that is the biggest blessing about being a pastor is that as far as your work schedule is concerned, nobody's looking over your shoulder. I mean, listen, friend, if I really wanted to, and I've heard of pastors doing it and known people that have done it, there's a lot of pastors that go and take a full-time check from a church and they go sneak off somewhere and get them another job that the church don't even know about. And they're spending all their time earning two paychecks. They don't spend any time for the ministry. They don't spend any time studying, any time visiting. Why? They're not really serving God for the Lord. They're serving for the church. And if they can pull the wool over their church's eyes, they're satisfied to do that. Let me tell you something, neighbor. The reason I serve God is because of the Lord, not because of anybody else. My wife needs me to serve the Lord. You think I'm unbearable now. <laughs> you just imagine if I'm gnarled up and angry and bitter and unhappy with the Lord. I, I'm, I'm unbearable to live with, I promise you. She, she needs me to serve the Lord. I need her to serve the Lord. But I'm not serving the Lord for her. I'm serving Him for Him. What I'm trying to drive at is this. Your purpose in serving God has to be an internal purpose. can't be based upon anyone else. I think of Jeremiah. We've already mentioned him tonight. Jeremiah, you know, sometimes, like I said, it gets difficult. Sometimes it gets tough to serve the Lord. Jeremiah knew from the outset of his ministry that it was going to be an unsuccessful ministry. Boy, how would you like to have that? What if somebody, what if you took a new job and the first day the boss said, I just want you to know you're going to do terrible at this. <laughs> that would be a little discouraging. God told Jeremiah, said, Jeremiah, this is the message I want you to give to them, but don't you think for one minute they're going to listen because this is a stiff-necked people. They're not going to listen to you. And so Jeremiah had preached and preached and preached for many years. And then he did what a lot of preachers have done and what I guess every preacher has felt like doing at some point. He finally pushed himself back from the table and said, God, I'm done with it. I'm just done with it. I'm sick of it. The people won't listen. The people have no sympathy. Nobody understands. God, I am through with serving you. I'm over it. And then Jeremiah sat. And you know, Lord sometimes lets you soak for a little while. <laughs> you know that? He lets you soak for a little while. You, you ever have a child that was pitching a fit and they, you just let them cry it out? You ever had that happen before? You just let them cry it out. And they went to sleep and they woke up and everything was okay again. Jeremiah was complaining and weeping and crying. He said, God, I'm... I'm done with it. I'm over it. Nobody understands. There's no sympathy. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm sick of it. I'm done. The Word of God has been made a reproach to me. I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm not serving you anymore. And he sat there and got quiet for a little while. And then 
Jeremiah said, I, I tried to keep quiet. But you know, I just found out that I couldn't keep quiet. I tried to seal it up within me, but I found that the Word of God was as a fire in my bones and it burned within me. And I could not keep my tongue. I could not keep my words. And I could not refrain. I had to serve God because it burned within me. That's why I had to serve Him. You know why? Because that fire was from within. That fire was from within. It was personal fire. But I want to say secondly about this bush, that it was a providential fire. It's not just enough that the fire come from within. What was its ultimate source? It was the Lord that was burning in the midst of that, of that flame. Let me tell you what the driving force of the believer has to be if he is to be sustained in serving God. It has to be the work of the Lord in him and through him. It's the only way. It, it wasn't a natural fire. Uh, let me tell you something. You take the most talented person in the world and put them serving the Lord. And if all they're going on is their talent, they won't last. You take the, great, the greatest orator in the world, you take the greatest public speaker in the entire world, put them in ministry and let them go off that and they won't last very long. Something has to drive you other than just your own ambition. Something has to drive you other than your own want to. There has to be somebody that's put a different kind of want to inside you. And listen, even in your personal walk with Christ, if you're trusting your own ambition or your own determination or your own willpower to maintain that prayer closet, if you're going to maintain that prayer closet because you're just bound and determined to do so, that ain't going to cut it. You may last longer than some, you won't last as long as others, and you definitely won't last long enough. Your study time, when you get alone with God and read your Bible and talk to Him and let Him talk to you, if that's based upon just sheer iron determination, I'm going to do it, creature of habit, you won't last that way. You won't last. It's got to be the Lord within you that's doing those things. You say, how is that, preacher? Speak in plain terms. Through submission to the Holy Spirit and obedience to Him. If you'll submit yourself to the Spirit of God, you'll find a thirst for the things of God. If you'll submit yourself to the Spirit of God, you'll find a hunger for the things of God. And that's the only place that you find it. It was a providential fire. It came from the Lord. I want to say thirdly that it was a perpetual fire. The amazing thing was not just that it burned, but that it didn't burn up, that it continued to burn. Paul said about the ministry, he said, we gladly spend all and are spent for your sakes. He said this, he said, Who is offended? And I burn not. It's a consuming thing. But you know what Paul said? Paul said about the time that they spent in Asia, he said that he would not have them be ignorant concerning the, the troubles and the trials and the tribulation and the suffering that they faced in Asia. And he said we were pressed above measure. In other words, he says, we had more on us than we could bear. And he says that him and the fellows that were ministering together, they looked within themselves and they found the sentence of death. And he said, what does that mean, preacher? That means Paul looked within himself and said, boys, if we keep going on like this, we're going to die. We'll die of a broken heart. We'll die of exhaustion. We can't keep serving God this way. We've got to find some strength. But he says this, that they found the sentence of death in themselves, that they might put their faith in God which raiseth the dead. You know what Paul learned when he was in Asia? He learned this truth. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You say, preacher, put that in plain layman's terms. Paul says, if I'm doing it in and of myself, the arm of flesh will fail me. But if I find that each day, if I'll just submit to the Holy Spirit and follow His leading and be obedient to Him and look to the Lord to be my strength, I find out that day by day I'll make it. I'll make it. As long as you're doing it for others, you won't do it very long. As long as you're doing it uh, to impress people, you won't do it very long. But if you'll find out that you'll serve God day by day, not month by month, not year by year, day by day, wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I belong to you. Wherever your Holy Spirit leads me, whatever you'd have me to say, whatever you'd have me to do, I will do that, Lord. And if you'll submit to Him, you'll find that it'll no longer be you, but it'll be Him living through you. I want to notice a final thing. I keep saying that. I say that from the first point. That way you're willing to stay and listen. Amen? No, but really, I, I, I want to give you one final thing, one final point that has three sub-points. The object of this bush's growth. What was it trying to do? We've seen the, uh, that it was ordinary in its nature, and we've seen the origin of its flame. But don't you notice the object of its growth? It's interesting to me that God didn't choose a tree I mean, you'd think if you wanted something that could be seen from a far distance, you'd pick a big towering cedar or a big towering oak tree, and you'd pick something that could be highly visible. But God used just an old shrub, just just a bush. That tells me something, that this bush was grown for a purpose. I want to say that this bush was grown to be utilized, first of all. This, this bush was grown with one purpose in mind. It was grown to be used. That was the purpose of it. Let me tell you something. When you got born again, how many of you have been saved? When you got born again, you enlisted in an army. You signed up to be a servant. You signed on to be a disciple. When, when you got saved, you got saved to serve. That's what you're here for. You were grown for utilization. You were grown to be used. You say, well, that's just not my calling. Oh, hogwash. That is your calling. You're called to serve. You say, what do I do? Anything you're able to do. That's what you do. You say, but people don't applaud. You're not doing it so they'll applaud. You say, people don't notice. You're not doing it to be noticed. You're doing it for the Master. That's the only reason we're doing it. Let me tell you something. If you go through this life and you spend your entire life serving God and nobody pats you on the back, Boo-hoo, it's still been worth it all. You go through your life and you serve God and you give your all to Him and nobody claps their hands for you. It's not been time ill spent. The Master has taken notice of it. I want to say that this bush was grown to be utilized. (laughs) I like this. I want to say, secondly, i got to get up here and I want to read it right. You know, there ain't no sense in alliterating it if you ain't going to read it right. I want to see that it was grown to be illuminated. The purpose for which this bush was grown was to burn. I don't know if that says anything to you like what it says to me, but, you know, Christ said, I am the light of the world. And the Bible said, uh, He made this statement. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Let me tell you what your chief purpose in this world is, is to show forth Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. That's what you're grown for. That's the purpose of your growing. The purpose of this bush was not to grow big where everyone could see it. The purpose of this bush was not to grow beautiful where everyone could admire it. 
The purpose of this bush was not to grow broad so that everybody would gather under it. The purpose of this bush was to grow that it might burn. That's the purpose of it. Let me give you a little lesson on church building 101. Churches ought not strive to be big churches. They ought to strive to burn. Churches ought not strive to have uh, impressive facilities. They ought to strive to burn. Churches ought not strive to have impressive reputations. They ought to strive to burn. That's the purpose of them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I want to see God enlarge the, the ministry of Wall Ridge. I, I, listen, I, I, I'd be tickled if we had twice this many or 2,000 this many. It doesn't matter to me. But I tell you this, my purpose as a pastor is to help this church grow into more Christ-likeness, not to grow into larger buildings. Now, I hope we do. I want us to reach everyone we can. But I say this, if nothing else, just to let you know where I stand on the matter. I want to see this church grow. That's my intention. That's my heart about the matter. I want to see it grow. But if in 10 years, listen to me, if in 10 years we got the same number of people that we do today, if we've stuck true to the Word of God, if we've not compromised, and if we've been a witness to the uh, Norwood community, I won't be ashamed. I won't be ashamed as your pastor. Listen, if they never put, if they never call me to them big meetings, you know, them big meetings that they have where you got to dress up real nice and wear a dark colored suit, shave all your whiskers off, and they call you doctor and all that. Listen, if I don't ever darken the doorstep one of them meetings, if they don't ever put my name on the, on the marquee there, that won't bother me. I'm not grown to be beautiful, and I'm not grown, God help us, and, I, and I'm not grown to be impressive, and I'm not grown to be prominent. I'm grown to burn. That's what God's put me on this earth to do. God's put me at Wall Ridge to burn. God's put me in Knoxville to burn. God's put me amongst you to burn and to show forth Jesus Christ to this world. It was grown to illuminate and for illumination. But I want to say a final thing, and I mean it this time. It was grown for consecration. Look with me again in the text at verse number 5. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Why was it holy? It was holy because the fire that burned within the bush had sanctified the ground that was around tell you what you're called to. You ready? You're called to cleanliness. Now, I'm not talking about soap and deodorant. I'm talking about you're called to live a clean life. You're called to not be like the world. You say, what, what, what does it mean to be sanctified? It means whatever the world is, you're not. That's what it means. You say, what does it mean to be separated? It means wherever the world's at, you're not. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. And we're supposed to be what? It ain't good enough to be consecrated. You've got to be committed because we're peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let me tell you something. I don't care how loud you shout. If you're not living a holy life, God's not pleased with you. Amen. I don't care how much people look at you and say, oh, look at everything they do. Hey, if you're not keeping that flesh in check, God's not impressed with you. I'll tell you, the measure of your love for Jesus Christ, you say, oh, and you can stand up, oh, I love Him, I love Him, I love Him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The measure of our love for Jesus Christ, the acid test of our love for Jesus Christ, is whether or not we're consecrated to Him. Are we obeying Him? This bush wasn't anything fancy. 
Uh, this bush was not anything prominent. This bush was not anything beautiful. But this was a bush that belonged to the Lord, that was used for His purpose. A lot of other bushes that were in the desert, I'm sure. But the one that people turned aside to see, and the one that people heard the voice of God from, was the bush that was on fire.